This is The Creator Revealed, a production of 3ABN Television. Welcome to The Creator Revealed. My name's Tim Standish, and I'm a scientist. Because I am a scientist, I believe in the Creator God of the Bible. Amen and amen. I'm Shelley Quinn, and we want to welcome you to this program. In the first segment, you're going to get a little scientific nugget, something that will reveal the Creator, as Paul said in Romans 1.20, that God's invisible attributes, even His eternal power and Godhead, are seen in the things that He created. And what are we going to talk about? Oh, the second segment is kind of a Bible or life application. So what are we talking about today? We are talking about humans and other animals. Okay. And Before we get into the science, I want to draw your attention to the way in which the Bible prepares our minds to think about both ourselves and other creatures. So let's let's get back into that creation account in Genesis, where we've gone from Genesis 1 to Genesis 2. So um, Moses has told us up to this point about the days of creation. And now he goes back and he fills in some details in Genesis chapter 2. So here he's talking about how God created human beings. And he, and, and he writes, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. And I want you to notice that, the ground. Right. That's what human beings, that's what he made us out of. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Mm -hmm. So human beings were formed by God. I love that idea of God forming us. He got personal, didn't he? Yes, out of the ground, out of the clay. And then God breathes the breath of life into Adam, and he becomes this living being. It's it's, um, a, a little bit hard for us to understand because we've never seen anything like that. This is, this is not science in the usual sense. It's not, not the kind of thing we can do experiments on. Yes. It's the kind of thing that ultimately we believe by faith, but it's also something that makes an awful lot of sense because when we look at human beings, what our bodies are made out of. The elements of the earth. The elements of the earth, right. We're not made out of magic pixie dust or anything <laughs> like that. We, we are the same stuff that the rest of the creation is made out of, but we have a different form. We're not an oak tree. We're not a mountain. We're a human being. Yes. Now, it goes on in the same in the same book in the same chapter actually god goes on and he says something about or moses tells us something about the animals so he says out of the ground the lord god formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air 
and brought them to Adam. So you can see here that the animals are made out of the same stuff that we're made out of. It shouldn't be surprising to discover that perhaps there are some similarities there. Yeah. So we have some DNA that would be uh, duplicated, if you will. Well, yes, you know, um, same God, yes. same material. There's going to be some similarities there, just as, just as we would expect with a, a designer. If a car was designed by the same engineer, two different cars, we would probably expect some similarities between those. Uh, we're creations, so are the animals. Same God, same material. And then I'm going to jump all the way down to the story of the flood. And there's an important detail that comes out in there. So here the animals are, uh, they're coming onto the ark. And it says this about them. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two, of all flesh in which is the breath of life. So there you have it. The animals are made out of the ground, just as we are formed out of the ground by God. And just as we have the breath of life, the animals also have the breath of life in them. You know why that's not hard for me to accept by faith? Because here we can put a man on the moon. We've got the shuttles and everything. All of the advances that we've made, no one has been able to duplicate taking elements and bringing in that spark of life that ignites life. Exactly. You know, sometimes people get excited and they say, well, what if, what if life was created in a lab? Well, what would that show? It would, uh, it's very unlikely. <laughs> but if it did happen, let's just pretend it happened. Would that happen as a result of just natural forces and chance? Right. No, it would be, we would recognize whoever did that as a genius. An engineering and, genius. Yes, and the organism that was produced as a product of genius. There you go. Uh, just as we as Christians recognize human beings and the other animals, and in fact, the rest of the creation as a product of genius. Well, let's, let's continue on. Let's, let's look at this connection between human beings and the other animals. And I'm going to start off here with a human femur. Uh, everybody has one of these unless they've had their, their legs amputated. And uh, probably familiar with the morphology of them or the shape of them. But if you cut open a femur, there's something very interesting inside. Up there at the top where that ball goes into the socket of your hip, you can see something called spongy bone. Yes. And if you look at that spongy bone, it's arranged in an interesting way. What you see... The direction in That's which right. The direction in which the bone is oriented is the direction in which the force is exerted on the femur. And you see this with other spongy bone as well. What this does is it makes our, our bones a little bit lighter and a whole lot stronger. So great engineering feat there. Really great engineering. I look at this and I think about those um, buttresses that you see on Gothic churches. Uh -huh. The buttresses coming out. Yes. They're also carrying lines of force down to the ground yes. so that those, they're actually quite um, strong structures 
but they're using less material than older kinds of construction methods allowed. So there's an engineering principle that translates over, yes. over there. It's, it's, it's kind of fun. Um, this kind of bone you find in human beings and you also find it in other creatures. So you can see there That's are- That's you. Yes. <laughs> there are human beings on the back of this elephant. And um, the elephant has bones that when we cut them open, they have a similar kind of structure to our own. On the other hand, if we look at birds, they have very specialized needs. Their bones need to be as light as possible and as strong as possible. Right. In addition to that, uh, there are some spaces in there to keep, them, keep things light, you know, to, to, to lighten them. So if we look inside a bird's bone, we see this. Oh, and, almost uh, like a honeycomb. It does look a little bit like a honeycomb, doesn't it? It's it, these um, spars basically inside the bones really make them very strong and yet very, very light. So they, they're, they're different, but they're different for a reason because of the demands of flight. That's what's going on. So, so, so they were engineered in their design for the purpose. For the specific purpose that okay. they serve. So what we're seeing here is there are similarities which indicate a single designer, a single origin, but also differences to suit the purposes to which these are being put, which indicates in thought about each individual kind of animal. Yes. Let's look at one other thing that has to do with the, with the uh, arrangement of skeletons. This is a tortoise. And if you look inside a tortoise, you can see that its, it's skeleton yeah, has, has, a, has an amazing different arrangement of things. The clavicle is inside the ribs. So this is, this is it's, it's, it's this bone here on your back. Imagine what it took to move that inside. That's a whole re-engineering of things. So while we have the same general design, we have a backbone and ribs and things like that. Tortoises that's and turtles have this incredible re-engineering or different engineering things for the specific purpose that they need. And when you look at all the other organisms that are out there, we've just been looking at vertebrates, but the invertebrates are so diverse, the snails, the, um, the insects, the uh, sea urchins, I, they, they all have similarities which point to a single designer and yet spectacular differences. Oh, here's a jellyfish. Uh, you could go on and on and on about these profound similarities and profound differences you that know, we see between these. When things. you look at even like all the different kinds of birds, my husband's a birder, oh, yeah. and it is so amazing to see the diversity within a single species. But then you start considering everything that God has created. He loves diversity. He loves diversity. And he's very good at it. He's not doing, he doesn't make things different just for the sake of making something different. He is making different things that are profoundly beautiful. Okay, but when you say, if animals and people are made of the same substance, we all have the breath of life, what is the difference between animals and people? Uh, there's a profound 
profound difference. Um, and it has to do with relationships, relationships. So I have a pet dog. Her name is Jill. Okay? There are obvious differences between my dog and my daughter. Yes. Uh, I, but I have a different kind of relationship with my daughter than I have with my dog. But we have a relationship. Surely. I love my dog. Yes. And she loves me. I know that when I go home from making these programs, I am going to get a loud and joyous welcome from her. You see, God made human beings to fit a specific purpose in his creation. It's actually written about in Genesis 1. It's laid out there right at the very beginning. This is, this is what God said. This isn't Moses. This is God. Moses, well, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God made us like him. He formed us in some profound way to be like him. And he gave us a relationship both with him and with the rest of creation. Yes, so he, and he created us to dominate. That was the purpose, is we were to, in a loving way like him, oversee everything that happened well, on earth. We're in charge which means we're responsible too. Yes, yes. Um, and that's a very big deal. Uh, we're not to lord it over the rest of creation. We are to treasure it. Yes. Okay. So what does this reveal to us about the creator? Well, his love of diversity is demonstrated in the variety of other organisms. So many different things. And his love of diversity is evident in the, in the rest of creation. It's not, it's not just the animals, it's everything. He loves diversity. God made diverse organisms to have a relationship with us just as we have a relationship with him. So by looking at this, we see God's love of diversity. Yes, and you know, it is so exciting that God loved us so much even to make animals that we, with whom we could relate mm. and have these special creatures in our life. Well, we hope that you'll stay tuned. We'll be back in just 60 seconds. Welcome to the Minute That Makes a Difference. I'm Margot Marshall. What difference would it make if you ate heaps of plant foods? You might live to be 100. Dan Butner, author of The Blue Zones, visited the longest living people groups in the world and found that one of the things each group had in common was a plant slant. Dan reports, I can tell you that the longest lived are getting 95% of their calories from plants and only 5% from animal products. Diets majoring in plant foods have been shown to be associated with a significantly reduced risk of heart disease, type 2 diabetes, various cancers, dementia, and a variety of other diseases. So, start today to increase your plant slant. It makes a difference.
Welcome back to The Creator Revealed. We've been talking today about our wonderful Creator and all the beautiful creatures that He formed from the dust of the ground for our enjoyment. Exactly. You know, the diversity of life is truly amazing. It is. And anyone who isn't just, just blown away, not just by the, the diversity, but the beauty of what's there, I don't know. It seems to me that they've lost their soul uh, in a way. But there is this question that we have in our minds um, as Christians, I think all people, and that is, how do we relate to these other creatures? What does the Bible tell us about that? And to assist us with that, we have Dr. Joanne Davidson. She is a professor of systematic theology at the Seventh-day Adventist Theological Seminary at Andrews University. And I'm delighted that she is joining us Amen. for this, to, to discuss this really important uh, topic. So, Dr. Davidson, one of the arguments that I've heard is God made human beings to have dominion over the rest of the creation, over the other animals and so on. So we really don't have any uh, responsibility to uh, be caring for these creatures. It is just, uh, you know, the earth is ours to do with what we want. And I'm wondering, is that really a biblical position or not? You know that a lot of people have that position, but they haven't learned to read the text carefully. If you look um, at Genesis 1, and God gives a definition of rulership even before he creates humans and animals. On day four, he says the sun is to rule the day, and he put it in place so it can conserve life and bring forth life from the ground. And so when God asks us to rule, he's, he's wanting us to display the same benevolence that the sun does. And he also, I, I think it's tragic that the, though people believe in God as the creator, the ideas of evolution have subtly affected their thinking, often without them realizing it, perhaps. And we, we just think that animals are just a little lower than we are, and we finally advanced to a higher stage, and we're really of more value and more worth, and that's not right either. That's not right either. The creation story is so beautiful because the first three days God creates habitats, and then the last three days he fills each of those habitats in turn with the creatures that live there. And then he, he gives both humans and animals a plant-based, violent-free diet. And then he finishes day six rubbing his You can almost see him rubbing his hands together and thinking, oh, this is very good. And he, he gives animals and humans the same diet. Hmm. And on day five, interestingly, he talks to the animals. It says in Genesis 1, 20 to 22, God created all the great sea creatures of the sea and the air. And then it says, and God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply. Well, who is God talking to? There was no humans around to listen. And he gives the same blessing only a day later to humans. And he puts them in a, in a world filled with new life and, and tells them to be fruitful and multiply the same blessing he'd given to day five. And, and if you go to the book of Psalms, over and over again, dozens of times the psalmist prays God for the works of his hands. The works of your hands are the works of his hands. Referring back to that passage you referred to, Tim, about God creating the creatures from the dust of the ground, the works of his hands. And he, 
and he and he is so excited about it and praises God. It just draws forth praise over and over again, the works of God's hands. In fact, there's one choir in Psalm 148 that speaks of humans praising God, but before it mentions humans praising God, it talks about the animals praising God. And praise is wending to the great creator from all his creatures. It's just unfortunate that we have such um, degraded hearing that we can't hear all the praise that's going to God. In fact, one scientist wrote, as we're destroying these different species of the earth, we're muting God's praise. Muting God's oh, that's praise. A, that's great that's really kind of a, a poetic, but kind of a, a depressing thought when, when you think about yes. it. Yes. I, I, I wonder myself, how is God going to respond to us if we are destroying these works of art that, that he's created? As a scientist, I, I'm taught to think about them more as in an engineering almost sort of sense, but also the beauty and yeah, this praise. Um, what, what kind of specific instructions, if any, does God give us about how we should uh, be treating animals, for example? Well, uh, if you look at the story of the flood, it's interesting to me that when God had to destroy sin because it was so corrupt, and the, and the word there in the original language is the strongest word that could be used for violence and evil, they were corrupted, that God had to destroy it. But he, he wanted to make a way of escape. He, God never destroys sin without making a way of escape. In this case, he had Noah build an ark. And then he told Noah, uh, please bring the animals in because I want to spare them too. And so God, as he pre prepares to rid the earth of violence and evil, he, he has an ark for humans and animals to be preserved in. Then after the flood, when they come out of the ark, it's chapter 9, it's very interesting. God gives a major covenant statement there. And four times in that statement, he says, I'm making this covenant with you and your family and all the animals with you in the ark. And he lists them and mentions them, many of them by name. Four times he repeats this in one covenant statement. And we know, we're knowing now as we're learning to read biblical narratives that anytime something is repeated, it's a key point. The ancients didn't have underlining and italics and, and bolding letters to, to, to emphasize something important. So instead they would repeat it. And in this case, God four times repeats that he has a covenant with all the creatures he's made, humans and animals. You know what? You know Later what? when he... Oh, I'm sorry. Go, Go ahead. ahead. Go, uh, I just uh, want to add uh, with that when God gives the Ten Commandments, the Fourth Commandment uh, is the Sabbath blessing, and he includes the animals even in the Sabbath blessing, yes. that they deserve to rest too. They deserve to rest. And the Old Testament laws, the Mosaic laws, marvelous how God says. I love some of them. Uh, I'll repeat one that one of my favorite. God says, if you see a donkey overloaded with a heavy load and he falls down, you need to help that donkey back to its feet, even though that donkey belongs to your enemy. Yeah, I, I guess the, I, the, the text that jumps to my mind is the one that says that you shouldn't muzzle the ox that treads the corn. Yes. You know, these, these animals are worthy of, of that, uh, you know, the, the, their wages <laughs> yes. in, a, in a way as well. They should be allowed to enjoy the harvest that they're reaping. Yes. They, it's kind they're, of, they're ostensibly working for humans, but they're 
part of the team and they deserve to enjoy the harvest too. So if we, if we sort of say, well, these animals are of such great value and uh, they're very much like us, then what does that, what does that do to human beings? Because I mean, does, it, does it degrade us to say, hey, you know, um, we're not as special perhaps as we thought we were? Or how, does, you know, how, how, does, how are we supposed to think about that? Well, you know, that, that's the idea of hierarchy, thinking that the people up higher are more important. But God has a different system, I think. He, he has, uh, uh, gives us the privilege of caring for his creation. And the animals depend on us for that. And we should be caring for the, cre the creation just like God himself does and say it's very, very good. Instead of thinking that because we are supposedly have more intelligence that we uh, are above them and don't have to care for them. But, you know, this thing of intelligence is really is really significant to me because scientists, of which you are a noble one, Dr. Tim, it, is coming out with many, many books now about the intelligence of animals. And my, the last one I read, I love the title. It said, um, The Wise Guys of the Avian World, Ravens and Crows. And it talks there about how they, uh, scientists used to think that monkeys were closest to humans in intelligence, but now they realize that ravens are smarter than monkeys. And uh, the fact that in tongue-in-cheek, the author says, now when you call someone a bird brain, that's a compliment because they're real. <laughs> oh, but it is amazing how smart they are. But Joanne, you will agree, we are, humans are special in a way because we were created in the image of God. So there's a form and a function for everything. That's right. And when we see how God cares for the animals and as well as he cares for humans, that should give us a lesson on what, how we should care for the animals. If we're created in the image of the creator, we need to have the same care and loving concern for them as he does. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Davidson. It's been a privilege to hear your thoughts and the way that you have brought out these lessons that are contained there in God's word. I am absolutely convinced that we have a duty as Christians to care for the entire creation, but especially these intelligent other beings that inhabit the earth with us. And you know, it's so funny because you and I were talking, uh, I think yesterday we were talking about the intelligence of animals and pigs. Oh, yeah. You know, like how intelligent a pig is. I want a pet pig, but you know, I have never lived in a household where the true bosses of the house would allow me to have one. <laughs> You're saying your mother and your wife won't allow it. Huh? You know, sometimes I think they just don't understand me. <laughs> but we don't always appreciate the intelligence of an animal. And you know, my mother always told me, don't trust someone that is not good to animals. Exactly. That was one of the one of the core pieces of advice I gave my daughter. Do not date anybody who is cruel to animals because they will be cruel to you as well. Yes. At the same time, when you see kindness to animals and when when we ourselves develop these amazing relationships that we can have. I mean, I talked about my dog Jack, but I still have our other dog Jill, you know, and the joy and the love that we share with each yeah. other, even though we're not the same species, it is a beautiful thing. 
and I suspect it models something about the relationship that we ourselves can have with God. Amen. And I think in, in many ways it makes us, as we are totally dependent upon God, when you have any creature that's totally dependent upon you, you can't help but love them for some reason. Mm -hmm. So it's just an idea, a model of how much God loves us. We hope that you've been blessed today and you'll join us next time. been listening to The Creator Revealed, a production of 3ABN Television.